it's friday and we have a lineup today today is going to be the day that we air a new series what should white people do what should they do what are you looking for in terms of an ally what does allyship mean to you what does that look like what does that sound like and you know the best way to know that would be from lived experience right would be to get the people in the room who've had to do that. So while we wait for her to sign on, I have white comrade who's about to sign on and she's going to share some of her experiences. And in speaking of what led her here, right? What made her decide like today is the day that I would no longer just sit here and watch all of this happen. Today's the day where I'm going to say, you know what? Enough is enough. CJ here, and this is the sound of black and brown. And this is a very important conversation because you know what? We don't have the privilege to defend ourselves. We just don't, right? If we had that, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I think that in order for us to move past where we're at right now, it's really critical for people to realize that they can be part of the movement and they can actually step back and do that. Amy, I see that you're on. You want to just say hi and give us a brief intro? Can you hear me okay? I can hear you sound a little far away. Can you hear me better now? I can hear you better now. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> so yes, tell tell everyone a little bit about yourself and you know, just give us a little backdrop on you know, just a broad definition of who you are and what brings you here today. Sure, sure. Um, so I'm Amy. Uh, I live in Middletown, Connecticut, and I run a little group called Middletown Anti-Racism. Um, I have three kids, all live in, in Connecticut. I've lived in Connecticut my whole life. Um, and I am kind of starting a new chapter in my life. And part of that chapter is um, doing things like this with people like you, Catherine. That's amazing. You know, I mean, so here's the thing. Black and brown people cannot do this work on our own. It is imperative that we have white people really come to terms with what that word privilege means and what it means in terms of your being. Can you share with me, like, what what was your coming to, let me face my privilege moment? What did yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I would say the first time that I really recognized that there was something different um, was when I was pregnant with my first child. Um, I was 15. I was still in school. Um, and, you know, lot when you're pregnant and you're a teenager, lots of people start giving you data, right, and information. And you know, the statistics of me graduating from high school, the statistics of me going to college, of having family help me. And I realized that the um, school system that I was put in when I was pregnant was in Hampton. Um, and what was it called? Um, I, I want to say that it was called ACEs, but I'm not sure if that was actually the name of it. But it was a school where they sent kids that were, quote unquote, um, uh, I guess, tough to handle in school, if you will. Almost all the kids there were black. 
and it blew my mind because I was like, wait a minute, I don't understand like why this school is full of black kids. Um, and then, you know, I was pregnant for um, nine months, but I think that my schooling there was for about four months, but I interacted with the kids that were there quite often and they were so nice and so sweet and I just didn't understand what that school was. I didn't understand why there were so many black kids in that school. Um, and so that was the first time for me that it was like that an alarm went off or a red flag went off. You know, it was like, it, look, it, it seems to me, and that was me pregnant at 15. And I'm like, it looks to me as if schools dump black children here. And I wonder why. Um, and then the resources available to me as a pregnant teen, the resources available to me as a young mom were not the same as my peers who I was in pregnancy school with, quote unquote. Um, and that was really the first time where I was like, I, and it really dawned on me, flat out dawned on me that I had privileges because I was white or I had privileges that people in my class didn't. Maybe I didn't necessarily realize it was because I was white, but I realized that black um, girls that I was in school with did not have the same resources that I did. Um, and, you know, twofold, I saw all of those young black men that were in that school um, and considered quote unquote, you know, trouble. Um, and that really started the process for me of thinking why, and it was always a question, why? Um, but I think it was really solidified when I worked as a congressional aide. Can you still hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, when I was a congressional aide, I think one of the, like what really set me on a mission to figure out what the heck am I not seeing? What the heck do I not understand? was a very legitimate question that I asked myself, which was why does Ridgefield look like Ridgefield? And why does Bridgeport look like Bridgeport? And everything that was, you know, that was available to me, all of the resources available to me, all of the information, all of the data was not explaining it. There was no explanation for why Ridgefield looked like Ridgefield and Bridgeport looked like Bridgeport. So I kept digging and I kept looking and I kept reading. And that's when I learned more about redlining. Um, and that's really when I learned more about um, the way the police police in Bridgeport, the way the police police in Fairfield versus the way the police police in Ridgefield. And that was really an aha moment for me when I was like, oh my gosh, we over police people who are in cities that are black after we redlined them. That is, that is crazy. I mean, most people that I know that get into this, white people in particular, you know, who get involved, they have this trajectory that they get accustomed to. And, you know, um, they learn things, right? Now, if you're tuning in, we're having a little bit of a technical full power happening. We're live right now. The name does not reflect what it should be. The name is what should white people do? So don't get thrown off. If you've seen the name a little different, it's okay. Everything is okay. We can love good old technology. We know we love it. Um, now, what I was going to say is 
more specifically, Amy, can you talk to us about like in your experiences, right? Where was it that you realized you had, you know, you spoke about, you know, facing your privilege, but at what point did you realize I need to do more? Okay. So I would say that after I read, um, stamped from the beginning, I could see so much of what is happening today being repeated things that had already happened in our history. And after I read that book, I actually felt deflated and I felt like, holy shit, uh, we have this long history and it's starting to make sense to me. The, the questions I had, why does Ridgefield look like Ridgefield? Why does Bridgeport look like Bridgeport? Were being answered in this book. And so I went back through the book and looked for all of the books he made reference to and then bought all those books and then read those books. And so what my goal was, was to learn the history of what happened, because I very much could explain um, from school the history of Lincoln and emancipation, emancipation Proclamation, the freeing of the slaves, you know, everything that we were told. Um, but what I couldn't, and, and then I also knew about redlining, but I was like, what the heck happened between those times? You know, like there must have been stuff going on if redlining was such a prevalent move. There had to be, a, had to have been things that happened in the meantime. So it was really investigating and reading individually into different sections of um, the United States. So policing, education, um, redlining, um, all of reading about each one of those things individually and seeing how state state sanctioned segregation, racism was built into those systems. Um, and the more I read, the more I was like, this needs to change. Um, and the more I read, the more it was like, out in public, I would hear someone say something, and a flag would go up. And I would be like, holy crap, that person is completely sitting in their privilege. Um, and yeah, and I, I just, um, it's the right thing to do, you know? It's well, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm going to jump in here. You're saying that. But see, what what I want you to really share, because Here's the thing, folks. Amy is not the type to take credit, right? And what I need people to understand, and the whole purpose for this series that I'm aiming here for, is to really educate those who want to understand to the best that I can, because some of y'all are going to come back me, because part of using your privilege is, first of all, accepting the fact that you have it. And so the whole premise of us having this series, What Should White People Do?, is so that folks get a better understanding of that right like it, it's more than just showing up to the rallies it's more than that yeah. so can you share with what led like what was your first rally like where was that and what was um okay so in when i worked in bridgeport um i attended rallies in bridgeport um and i could hear the message you know this is what we need this is what we are being deprived. And then I'm seeing that being, you know, readily accessible in, in other towns. 
Um, but I think for me, I think the part that I left out when I was talking about myself a moment ago was also in the mix of reading those books, I was introduced to Nehemiah White Supremacy by Leigh Sad. Um, and by reading that, I realized that was a that was my biggest personal aha moment where I was like, oh my God, I'm part of the problem. Um, like, well, would you look at that? <laughs> But what was that like, though? Like, were you by yourself? Yes. Like, I, I was by myself, but it was, and it, and it wasn't like everybody makes it sound like, you know, um, you, you're hating white people, you're this, you're that. Um, that's not what it is. It's when you're stepping into anti-racism, you're making a conscious decision to say, I have been taught these things my life, my entire life that being white means that I have access to these things because I am more deserving. Um, and it's realizing that by continuing to do that, um, I am just, I am feeding into all of the things I'm reading in these books. I am not helping to stop um, whatever is next from the generation of, of redlining and segregation, like what's next to come, you know? So, um, so reading Layla's, Layla Sad's book really opened me up. Do I need to look at about myself? How am I feeding into this? What part am I playing? What role am I playing? And she talks about a lot of different, um, actions that, um, we as white people take um and and do in our privilege and one of the biggest ones that stood out to me was white silence um and i see it and it's when you're as a white person in a group of like white people and someone mentions race and then the whole group goes quiet and then the subject is changed there is such a silence around discussing any of this so one of the things i learned in reading a book about um, the women who were on the ground and doing all the work in SNCC during um, the civil rights movement was that white people need to speak in white spaces about racism. And I was like, hmm, I think I can do that. And so a few years ago, that's when I started, you know, openly speaking in Facebook groups, in public groups, in um, family spaces, in, um, you know, ab about racism. And I've gotten a ton of pushback, but I've also met a ton of people that, ha that feel the same and that want to learn and that want to be better people. Um, and so, yeah, that's... Uh, so basically, you that. took upon your experience. Now, see, here's the thing, and I see Manny just... Um, called in there. I'm going to turn to him in a second. Thank you, Manny, for coming on. Now, this is a really important discussion, guys. Despite our little technical full pause we've been having, it's Friday. Even the internet is tired. But um, what I'm saying is, is that we're hearing from a white ally her journey, right? Now, let's note for a second. Let's pause for a cause. Amy, you keep talking about reading and reading and reading, right? Now, as someone who is not white, and without privilege, I didn't get to read about slavery. I had to experience the um, experience of slavery. And one of my frustrations is when uh, folks are interested in 
you know, um, you know, learning about their privilege. They say, well, what should I read? What should I read? And I have nothing to give them because I feel like I should not be the one telling you this. Yeah, right. No, no. I, I, uh, and so that was another thing that I learned early on too, because I, my first instinct was like, oh my God, I need my black friends to explain this to me. I need them to tell me their perspective so that I understand. But that was another big piece of Layla said was not to, ex ex first of all, the labor of a black or brown person experiencing racism, then, then needing to explain it to me is more harm. So really, I need to learn those things. So there, there are black and brown people who do not mind expressing their labor to do TikTok, to do um, programs, like I attended one last night um, through Mark Twain House, to do different programs that discuss the ways to show up, but not just how to show up, how to show up by working on yourself, work on yourself, work on your immediate circle and work on your town, your town, not someone else's, yours. Um, and so what I really learned was that I need to work in unison, but I do not put the burden of education on the black people and brown people around me. That is my job to learn those things. And it is not for me to say, but I don't understand that. Can you explain that to me? Or, and that's even saying it nice. That's, um, you know, oh, can you tell me about this? Or can you explain that to me? Because black women and black men have taken the time to write entire books about what their experience is. So if I want to understand from the perspective of a black or brown person, I can read something they've written. I can watch a video they've done. And I can understand those perspectives without expecting that labor to come from friends or people in my community that are not open for that labor. Does, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Because I feel like that happens a lot. And what my experience has been, at least, and, I, and this is where, Manny, I want to invite you in on this piece here as a younger Latinx activist and advocate and someone who is looking at entering the political arena. What do you think about this? Because what I find is, is that they're white people when confronted about their whiteness, they turn to me and they say, well, what should I read? Now, I applaud Amy for taking the time to read all these books. You know, I don't blame you. But sometimes some people don't want to do that. And sometimes some people do that and it still doesn't change anything. Yeah. Now, I just want to pause right there, Manny, and get your comments. Has this been your experience as a younger yeah so um you know it's like i i've stated uh on previous episodes um you know at my own school uh you know i was teaching classes and you know when we're talking about the youth population especially of today right uh it's no secret that things like reading books and such and reading texts especially in a historical context um, are definitely not favored, you know. I mean, it's it's just the way society uh, is now, right? Um, and so, you know, in a goal to you know educate them, 
um, on, you know, what I would often say is the real history of things and, and, you know, not the watered down curriculum that, you know, our school and education systems like to give, you know, reteaching the same things over and over again. I would offer an alternative and, you know, and I'd put it into um, mediums, so to speak, that, you know, were appealing um, to the younger population, right? And so whether this was in the form of like interactive presentations, whether this was videos that, you know, weren't so much played as out as like documentaries, you know, because that also bores people, um, you know, <laughs> of this age, um, it'd be videos that, you know, might also be interactive, but also, you know, simplifies, you know, a lot of the historical jargon that might be placed into there. So, and I think that we need to realize that this not only applies to the younger population, but to just the vast majority of people um, in general. You know, I mean, let's be honest here, you know, not a lot of people just by nature would sit down and read a 300, 400 page book, you know, regardless of what the topic is. Um, that takes a, a certain level of, of willpower, certain level of, you know, dedication, passion, you know, for reading. Um, and so, you know, I've often tried to explore different mediums that allow me to present history, right? The real history, the forgotten history, so to speak, um, in an effort to educate people. And I've done it of all ages. I want to make that clear. Not, I've not only done it, you know, just in the school setting. Um, even if I'm doing a speech, you know, at an event or I'm in a meeting, you know, um, with different organizations and stuff, right? Um, you know, to get them to realize certain historical and, and modern day, you know, truths that are not often recognized or even um, given the validation that a lot of these truths need to be given. So, yeah, I, I do think that it, it's a tough... Um, it's a tough move for us to try and tell people, you know, hey, here's a book. Here, you know, it, here's what it covers. It covers a certain, you know, a real history or the real truth of such and such. Read it and, you know, <laughs> learn about what's in it. Um, if they're not, you know, really inclined uh to, to be reading, you know, uh, texts of, of such um, large amounts. That's a great point that you raised there, Manny. Let me just jump into something here. So there was a group called Showing Up for Racial Justice. And this group was meant to bring together white people so they could discuss their privilege and figure out how to plug in, right? Like other things, what started off as an initiative to build awareness, it became a study. So for me, like right here in Connecticut, we're still studying racism. What the fuck do you need to study about racism? I have the faintest idea. But my point is this. Why did we need to create a study? Why do we need to study these things? 
why can't this be fact? Why does it have to be that, you know, we need to do this type of investigative reporting on stuff like that? You know what I'm saying? And that's where I have a huge, huge, huge issue, right? Now, on the flip side of that, Amy, I want to turn this question to you. How do we get white people from studying to being active? Because it seems to me like most white people feel like they have to do something phenomenal. And most times I feel like they're looking for this level of validation, like there needs to be media, lights, camera, action. And I don't agree with that. I feel like you could use your privilege in different ways. Yeah, I mean, you can use your privilege every day. Um, And you can do it in the grocery store. You can do it when you're ordering food. it's it has to be a conscious decision which honestly in the beginning which which each thing that you do um and you know i i hear what you're saying there and i think that's twofold that there's the one part it's like i have to know what i'm talking about before i get involved and i think that and and I don't know if that's true or not. I, I don't know if someone should be at a certain level before they start. No, I think that's true. I think that you need, I think for a white person, they need to understand their privilege first and really face it and accept it before they could use it. And I think that's the part where they have to learn how to navigate, right? Because Manny and I didn't wake up in the morning and say, oh, look at that. There's racism outside. Let me go. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, would you look at that? It's sunny with a cloud of racism. That's not how that works, right? We end up finding out about the racism because in this state, the racism is very normalized. It's actually too normalized, right? It's part of the culture. It is. And this was a state that was a red state for a very long time. So what we're looking to do here with this series, you know, Amy and I are going to have these very blatant, you know, truthful conversations because there's a flip side, right? There's a side where you have to educate. Like you said, it's twofold. Now on your side, it is twofold because you do need to educate, but so do we as black and brown people, because what we need to do is re-educate ourselves on what does it look like when privilege opens the opportunity to us? Because the problem we have is that we tend to believe and think that the white person must lead the show. They must be at the top. It must be about them. You know, we have to do this for them. And then we see this by the lack of representation in various organizations and other spaces, right? Now, you spoke about the reading side. When did you decide to become active? And can you share with us, expand a little more on what you just touched there? Because I like what you said, the grocery store, you're talking about regular places. Yeah, so I guess like what's considered essentially white-centered spaces, which is every freaking space, right? That's what we've done. We've made sure that every space that we are in is white-centered so that we feel comfortable. Um, So if I'm in the grocery store, the way that I can use my privilege is, number one, how I treat the people around me, but making sure that when I hear about issues with workers at that grocery store, do I speak up? Do I show up? Um, if I witness something, do I say something? The answer has to be yes. Um, how do I treat the people that are ringing me out or that are working in the store? Am I making eye contact? Am I talking to them as if they're a human or am I treating them as if they are, they owe me something? 
because I think that's a big part of the white privilege is kind of this belief that I am owed something. I am in your store, so therefore you owe me something. Um, and so stepping away from those things um, and uh, in other ways, it's who's being hired. So I wanna do business with someone, right? Do they have any black employees? Hmm, why not? Um, if I want to, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other like very specific things. Um, oh, with nonprofits. If I'm gonna donate to a nonprofit, what does their board look like? And what does their leadership look like? Ooh. I like that. Number one, I will not work with a nonprofit whose um, staff, head staff, I'm not talking about like the people that are on the ground working. I'm talking about leadership. If leadership and the board are white or do not reflect the people that they are providing services to, I will not donate to them. And I do not consider that to be a nonprofit that's beneficial to the public. Um, I believe that to be uh, white saviorism and, um, you know, stroking a, a, a white ego um, and white, white feminism. But. Um, oh, Lord, Amy, did I you just me? say that word? What is wrong with you? White feminism. Yeah. White feminism, white toxicity shows itself in so many different ways, shapes, Absolutely. and forms. I'm going to switch gears real quick. We're Let's switch gears. We, are, we white women are the guards for white supremacy. So oh, shit. <laughs> Y'all heard it here. She's not wrong. It's the truth. Because who came out? Who came out and said, no, Trump is great. Trump is awesome. You look at his rallies, man. Who's in the front row? Right. It's a bunch of white women. Um, right. It's our job to protect our men and make sure that 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 we protect, you know, um, that uh, that whiteness, because that is what in turn is going to protect us. But in reading about the South, in reading about enslavement, in reading about the role of white women in all of that, um, because, you know, I'm I wasn't raised in it, and then this is not my parents per se. This is society to believe that, um, you know, white men, that men protect me. And so therefore, if I have the opportunity to do something to protect those who protect me, then that's my obligation. Um, and so we act as gatekeepers. I mean, this, the moms for liberty, those are all wives, girlfriends, whatever's of proud boys and shit like that. So we are just as active in upholding white supremacy as white men are. But wait a minute, you're not just active in person, you're also active online, aren't they? Oh, Let's talk yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I think that, so online has become a really big way of communication, right? Social media has really, and I think Manny was touching on that because I am 47 years old, so books to me are like the go-to. But for my kids, when they are learning something or when they're picking something up, um, short and factual is best. And I find TikTok videos to be incredibly helpful in trying to share that information, right? Um, so social media um, has become a way, number one, of silencing. But like there's this group 
I'm not going to say what town they're in, but there's a social justice group that has all white leadership. I was part of that group. It was a closed group. And there was such a problem in that group of NIMBY, right? This, this act of racism didn't happen in my neighborhood. This didn't happen in our town. Let that other town worry about it. And then watching the way that they respond to racism being committed by their own town and realizing none of these women have done any work on themselves. What they consider to be anti-racism is them volunteering at an all-white nonprofit, giving money. But their town is still 2%, not white, 2%. So that is 10% lower than the state for just black people alone. So they're, what they're doing is using the face of social justice to cling to the whiteness that keeps their town segregated. Oh, Lord, Amy. Girl, you came out shooting from the hip. You, well, what'd, you ta- what'd you do? Did you do research on Lauren Garrett, the woman who used the Black Lives Matter movement to win office? I mean, what she's saying is facts, though. This is facts. I just want to pause for a cause, Manny. Chime in. Think about, you know, because I feel like it's important for us to hear from the younger ones what they think about what they're seeing, right? Because we have to pass the baton over to them. That's a lot of toxicity you just unloaded. And I appreciate you, Amy, for being so transparent because I feel like these are the conversations that have to happen so people really understand how real it is. Yes. What's your Yeah, I mean, um, that was a lot. That was definitely a lot, but all of it very true. That's, I think that's the most important thing that we have to recognize. And I thank Amy for really putting it out there um, because, you know, CJ, this is the things that me and you often emphasize and try to highlight you know that uh, is happening all around us uh but me and you can sit here we can highlight and emphasize it day and night and until we're blue in the face um <laughs> but having another person you know like amy uh, amy you know who is here and, and is in the fight with us and you know a very like-minded person um when she goes and puts it out there, I mean, it's, it's a home run, you know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Amy, I mean, really hit it on the nose. Uh, and CJ, this is often something we talk about, right? The gatekeeping, uh, the guard that happens. Um, and Amy went specific, you know, with the examples of, you know, um, certain organizations that are out there that are, you know, pretty <laughs> all Caucasian uh, organizations and their, you know, efforts, so to speak, as they put it in combating and offsetting, you know, um, crime and, you know, youth related things and injustices and all these different things, right? Their answer is to pretty much support each other, <laughs> you know, and and then, you know, I mean, someone like me, you know, who 
you know, I'm I'm here and I'm in New Haven and Waterbury and Bridgeport. I'm going all to these different cities, you know, and they all have their own different percentages of how the population and demographics look, right? And you know, regardless of the city that I'm going to, regardless of the demographic and you know the, the percentages over there, I still approach things exactly the same, right? <laughs> and with these people they very meticulously pick and choose one the locations that they're doing these things at to what the movements are and how their involvement in said movements is going to be portrayed you know via social media via public attention right and also then being very meticulous in who's affiliated with whatever action they're doing to quote unquote, you know, be part of the movement. <laughs> right. Um, and again, CJ, me, you have, I've pointed that out more times than I can remember, <laughs> but um, the fact is, is that it's real, very real thing. And it's unfortunate, you know, that our quote unquote allies in the movement, as they call themselves, um, are so meticulous and so selective in how they want to help the movement, why they're helping the movement, you know, where, when, with who, when literally anyone else that are actual allies of the movement, none of those questions concern them. Right, they just get right into the movement wherever, whenever, with whoever, and just do the work that needs to get done. Manny, facts, and you know what's the other thing that happens too? I find like more often than not, white people show up, and you alluded to this, Amy, when you started. You know, they use use whatever they can to force their way in. I've had experience of a white person using their gender identity not only to get in but to excuse their toxic their white toxicity can you talk about that is that something that you yes yes um so in that group that i was talking about um there are specifically and i think this is slightly different than uh, um what you were talking about but it's the same idea um there's a woman who claims indigenous ancestry so therefore she's not white, which I think we all learned after Elizabeth Warren that you don't do that. If you are not claimed by a tribe, you do not claim yourself as being indigenous. That is not what it means. Um, and so this indigenous person, who's a white woman, was the head of their quote unquote like book club or whatever, because she was considered to be non-white, you know? So she was their, their non-white person. And, oh, and there was a gay gentleman. So a white guy and a white woman, and they're both claiming, well, I guess one actually is gay, but, um, you know, because of proximity to um, marginalized groups, um, were then the lead in discussing anti-racism which was mind-blowing because if you have a woman who is 
pretending not to be white and pretending to be indigenous, that is the most problematic thing that you have in front of you right now. And you're making that your spokesperson to other white people in the group on how to dismantle their own white, white supremacy, how to dismantle um, and become anti-racist. And that was just mind blowing to me. Another, and I wanna to touch on something that Manny said, because when, when white women show up to things like this, when white women show up to um, a black led event, which I'll say, I will bet money that the amount of white people that show up to black led events is so low um, compared to a, an issue that's considered quote unquote, a white woman's issue, uh, something that white feminism, feminism is interested in. But there's this expectation because I'm here, therefore you cannot challenge me. I am doing you a favor. So if I step, take a wrong step, do not correct me. If you correct me, I'm gonna lose my shit and you are wrong. And that's the white woman tears and that's the um, white rage and stuff like that. Um, it's a hell of a thing when white saviorism gets attacked, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sorry. Like I just had to jump in and say that shit because you could always tell white fragility when it gets offended by being corrected. Let me say that again for the people in the back. Y'all come here. Come here. Come closer. You could always tell. Absolutely. And in that specific group, when I would make mention to someone that what they're doing is white feminism, and there are several, and don't make fun of me, there are several books that dis, that are very, there, it's a, um, it, it's a term that's used in education. It is not a made up term. It is not a slang term. It's not an opinion. It is an actual thing. White feminism is the focus on white women's issues that ignore the issues of black, brown, and other women, marginalized women. And I should say that it's more middle-class white women, and I should say that it's um, non-disabled white women also. So by telling someone, hey, your, your opinion, that view, um, I'm seeing white feminism is a torch and it that group went nuts over the idea of discussing white feminism within that group of the idea that they needed to unpack some things so that they understood that while do, they're doing their quote-unquote george floyd meetings right we weekly george floyd protests and not addressing the white feminism that's rampant in their group makes them a bigger threat to the black community than the nazis that are um hiding and dropping talk that amy that talk women. talk that talk i'm telling you you're hitting it on the nail because people need to hear this using your whiteness to take over the movement is some yeah. fuckery yeah well we don't just take over the movement what we do is we insert ourselves, and this is exactly what happened with the March on Washington during the civil rights movement. It was run by black people, and then white people started getting more involved. They started removing speakers. They started judge, um, cutting down on what people were allowed to say. And um, that's we still do that. And so that group was so focused on 
what they believed anti-racism to be, which is to hold these marches on Sunday and talk about love and light. And really, love and light makes me so angry now because it actually means silent violence. It does not mean what it's being portrayed to be. But by having these weekly marches and saying, we're doing anti-racism, then other people join in and we're doing anti-racism when they're actually not doing anything because their kids still went to Hill House and made monkey noises at little black girls trying to play basketball. And their solution, and this is where I tried to point out their problem where white feminism bites them in the ass, is that their solution was to work on something with the principal, work on something with the children who did it, and close the case, and it was done. What about those girls? Did anyone contact that school to find out what those girls need to feel better after having been had monkey noises made at them when they were simply trying to play basketball? But don't no. you think no that's still happening now? Because I find it interesting that COVID-19 happened, right? And this is something, Manny, I'm going to turn at you now, right? And, and you know, this is something I've said time and time again. Uh, Amy, I cannot, I cannot say enough for you to come here as a white ally and talk like this. I really appreciate it because this is going to be a series, right? We need people to get educated in reality. Not what you feel like it should be, but this is what we really, really need to do because it behooves me that COVID-19 happened, we all felt like we're in solitary confinement, but nobody stopped to say, what about our black and brown kids? And then out of nowhere, here comes, you know, all these different legislators talking about mental health, mental health, but I haven't seen that true investment in our black and brown children. Instead, what I've seen is, you know, all these things being said about, oh, all these young people are criminal, they're not coming to school, they're absent all the time, but I'm not hearing where you talk about what are the socioeconomic factors leading to that, right? Exactly. And I feel like this is where, again, what you're talking about with the clinical aspect of this, the mental health, the mental wellness side, that's a whole other piece. I mean, the whiteness comes in different shades and forms. Don't think because somebody says they're a Democrat, they can't be racist. Let me tell you. Right. Let uh, me tell you. knows no party. It knows no party, right? And it might even leak over to education. It is leaking over to education. You came through the gate talking about that. You were talking about ACEs. Yes. Is that place still there? Yes. It's functioning the same way. Does any of this sound familiar to you, man? Um, absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean... <laughs> anyone who says that it sounds foreign or it sounds uh absurd i mean uh, where have you been you know <laughs> like are you are you even paying attention to outside uh <laughs> yes absolutely definitely sounds um very very similar very familiar uh i, I want to recall something you said earlier <laughs> that it, it made me laugh but now, you know, not just because it was comical, but because it's, it's very <laughs> true. You know, you said uh, me and you didn't just wake up one day and and 
<laughs> look outside and be like, oh, there's racism. <laughs> you know, uh, it's we experienced it. We have had encounters. We've had things happen to us uh, that has unfortunately brought us right to the forefront, face to face with this ugly character that is racism. And it's sad. It's sad when I hear what Amy said, you know, uh, to think about, you know, anyone being made fun of the race, but especially in the derogatory and the, the, the degradation manner of having noises made at them that's you know to, uh, subliminal uh, about their race it's it's disgusting it's what it is it's disgusting I mean you got to call it what it is it's sickening it's disgusting um, and the very real ugly fact is that it happens every single day even though you know the year is 2023 <laughs> but that absolutely means nothing when it comes to racism and that that is the the reality that we face i mean here's my thing the whole purpose of this whole platform here is we want to face this thing and stop brushing it under the rug right because i feel like that's what connecticut is doing it has said oh we're progressive studying racism and then when people realized that was bullshit they said Oh, wait, no, 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 wait, no, no, no. We care, we care. No, no, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. We're going to, um, we're, we care about diversity, equity. What can white people do? Break it down to us a little bit. We're going to continue the series. So folks, don't think this is the last conversation. This is actually a series and the dates and times are subject to change while we figure it out, you know? Um, and we thank you all so much for being here. But before we close out, Amy, tell us, what can white allies do right now without reading a book or doing anything else? What could they do to get started? Well, I honestly, I think some kind of material is necessary. I don't think that you can search inside and start to unpack those things. I think you need some kind of medium to do it, whether it's a book whether it's a course, whether it's TikTok or something like that, but, but your approach to anti-racism has to start with, what is my role? How do I change my role? And then how do I become the change I wish to see? So that's really where I believe it needs to begin. Can you hear me? What about you, Manny? So, as I as I state uh, many times before, uh, my message stays the same regardless uh, the race or the audience I'm speaking to. The changes that need to happen, the changes that need to be enacted, uh, all start from you. Um, we cannot rely on others. We cannot rely on people to 
wake up and come to terms with the truth that is reality. We need to be able to understand, and I always want to emphasize that it must always start with you, whoever you are. You know, um, it doesn't matter if you're white, doesn't matter if you're black, you're Hispanic, you're indigenous. That, quite frankly, carries no weight when I'm talking about the fact that you need to look within you to develop the initiative and the will, the will, first and foremost. <laughs> if you have no will to carry out the actions that need to be carried out, that's where it starts. You can be educated. You can have people speak you to death. If you do not have the willpower to actually step outside of your comfort zone, nothing's going to change. So, as I've said, it starts with you. Well, that was beautiful and poetic, as always, from Manny. I swear to God, this kid comes up here. I think he trying to just woo us with his words. You know what I'm saying? I felt like I was at a concert. <laughs> that was really great, Manny. It's true. It starts with you. But more pointedly, I personally feel as someone who's at least twice Manny's age, white people need to get up and stand up and do more. Yeah. All right. We could talk about us doing you know, all these different things and introspection. We could do some meditation. We could do all of those fun and exciting things. But the problem is the white people need to actually face themselves for us as black and brown people to have the access to have what we are more than, you know, it, it, I mean, come on, man. It's beyond our time. If you're going to use words like diversity, inclusivity and equity and all those big nice fabulous sounding words then give us the access to do that like amy's saying stop supporting these nonprofits that do not have the black and brown leadership behind it okay stop supporting these movements that have to be led by white people for it to be effective learn to give up the friggin power and give us the space right we're not the experts you right Right. And I'm not saying that everything should be about us. I mean, that'd be great. But in the sense of if you're really, truly serious about, you know, about us being at the table at the very least, right, then you need to make sure that we have that access. And the only way that happens is if you give us the room to do that. You're going to have to be humble, man. You're going to have to be humble. So through this series that, you know, Amy and hopefully a couple other white allies, I want, I want the white people to ask questions. I want you to ask questions because I get it quite often where people say to me, but CJ, what do I do? What do I do? And I get frustrated because I'm like, the fuck I look like? You should know you need to talk amongst each other. But that just tells me that there's not fluid communication happening because more often than not what i've been seeing over these last three years is that more and more white people they come into these grassroots spaces and they try to be part of the leadership now when you do that why would the community want to get involved so it makes me say to myself maybe you're not doing that by mistake right you see 
So I want to thank Amy and Manny for being here. As we close out, I, I want to thank you all again for all your continued support and encouragement. It is truly, truly appreciated. You know, Amy, you want to share any closing thoughts? I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your space for, with me and giving me the opportunity to dis discuss these things. Um, and I appreciate you. And Manny, I very much appreciate you as well. Always, Amy. Thank you so much for taking that risk and coming on here. And she is doing it by a risk. But that's what we're going to talk about the next time. See, this is a buildup. Trying to create a space where people could talk about these experiences as white allies and how we could improve this, right? Because we need to improve it. And this starts by education. I talk about the white supremacy all day. Trust me, I, I could fill your ears with that shit. But that doesn't mean that I want to continue doing that. I actually want that to change. Before we close out, my I always end these episodes in all my speeches. Be the change that you wish to see. Never let anyone deter you. Do not let the feeling of hopelessness, the feeling of being alone, the feeling of being isolated in your beliefs and thoughts and hopes for a better society and a better future in which every single person may live in equity and equality. Don't be deterred by the many things that you'll see and the things that will come against you in this fight. Uh, but above all else, always, always, always remember that you are not alone. Um, there are people like CJ, people like me, and so many countless others, people like Amy. Thank you, Amy, for being here, who are here to support you, to be on the fight with you, to hold your hand on that front line. So just always remember, it's up to you. We'll be right here along with you. And it's us against the world. Thank you. That was amazing, Manny. You know, the revolution will not be uh, televised. You know, Gil Scott Heron said that, right? And, you know, I want to say it once again to the white people tuning in and asking themselves, how they could be involved, what can they do, how can they change things, you know, where does it start? You just got to shine an example from someone who, you know, she grew into the movement, right? And this is not going to be the last show. This is a series. So feel free to drop some comments. We're going to publish these. You know, I want to hear your feedback. I want us to make it better. Let's not just say we're progressive, right? Let's be progressive. That's right. Shout out to the Middletown Anti-Racism Group. Let's do this work. Face the challenges, man. Like I said, Manny and I don't go outside and say, oh, yeah, what you doing today? Yeah, let's just go tackle racism. We don't want to have to keep saying that. We want Manny to realize his goal of running for office without coming up to these barriers. And the only way that that could happen is if we get the access and the opportunity. And that means getting the opportunity to be, to be who we are. All right, give us that. All right, that's all for now. This was the sound of black and brown. CJ here, fist up, smile on. Peace.